Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's go to Holly and welcome to the show. This is former Secret Service agent Dan Bongino. Dan, how are you, sir? Hey, very good. Good to be here. Dan, how, how long were you a Secret Service agent? Twelve years. Twelve long years. Yeah, it was a tough job. Yeah, oh, I, I, here's, what, here's my knowledge of your job as far as uh, detail of, the, of covering the president is the uh, video of the Reagan assassination where everybody's first instinct is to throw their own bodies in front of a bullet. That's a job that I could never do. Yeah, and it's amazing. If you go back and watch the YouTube video of that, you'll see an agent by the name of Tim McCarthy. And I actually, this is the last chapter of the book. It's called America Needs to Get Big. And I talk about how they train the Secret Service agents to get big when the gunshots happen. I mean, you hear a gunshot, the natural human instinct is to duck or right. to find cover. But if you watch the video, it's not what McCarthy does. He puts his arms and his legs out, and he does in the Secret Service what we call get big. He made himself a big target, and he ate that bullet like a champion. I mean, he was <laughs> thing like a true American hero. He really did, and I'll tell you, I, I, I admire him to, for doing that. Watch that video. You'll see it. It's amazing what he did. You Here's the thing, though, and it's I guess it's kind of like joining the military. I've never served in the military, and I have the utmost respect for the people that do. And certainly the same thing with fire uh, firemen and police officers. There's nothing in my, my selfish egotistical body that says go spare your life for another man and you have to think about that every morning that if today's the day it, it, your your job is to throw yourself out there yeah and i i i discussed this a lot in the book how the idea is that when you join the secret service and you, you commit to that mission that that's the heroism you know when you look at the mccarthy incident when he gets big and he takes that bullet for ronald reagan you know, I make the case to you, of course, that was heroic, but it was heroic when him and everyone else had made the decision to train themselves to do that. Sure. You know, you spend your entire nine months and maybe ten months now in Secret Service training school in Prince George's County. You spend that entire time in what they call AOPs, assault on principle exercises, where they attack a fake president and you have to protect them. And you just drill constantly into your head to never duck, to never walk away, to never turn around and run, but to always get big and they eat those bullets and they train you with these simunition rounds that granted obviously they're not real bullets but they're hitting you things, but they hurt yeah. i mean they when you get hit by these simunition rounds it doesn't feel good and it, it trains you to never duck even though you're getting dinged with these things and it's that's where the real heroism uh, is, is is involved so a- answer me this question uh what is the average pay for a secret service agent <laughs> you know, they get paid pretty well for government employees. I think that's why there's never any union difficulties or anything. You know, we don't have a union. There's never been any clamor for that. And I think they realize they have to pay pretty well to get people to do that job. So, you know, a journeyman agent in a big field office, a Washington, a Miami, a New York, Houston, where the cost of living can be you know, high, you'll, you'll make between 125 and 150 I mean, you'll, you'll get paid pretty well. I mean, they're going to get their, their pound of flesh out of you. You work a ton of overtime. Time. Yeah. But it's a really good job. You get a take-home car and a gas card and things like that. So uh, yeah, it's it's a good job. You're not gonna you're not gonna be in a lower income scale doing it. How many of the guys that go into that course, that 10, 10 month training, actually get through? And how many are like, yep, nope, this isn't for me. 
Yeah, it was, uh, luckily the vetting process in advance is pretty good. So you'll have an agent class of, when I was there, it was about 20 to 24 people per class. Sometimes they'll do double classes if it's really a big hiring fix. But you'll lose, you know, maybe three or four. I know the number sounds sounds low, but they do a lot of work in advance because it, for an obvious reason, right? Think about this. Sure. If you don't do the work in advance and you put a guy into the training program and you teach him how to protect the president, and then the guy turns out to be a terrorist or a criminal or, or of, uh, you know, he has a criminal mind but hasn't committed a crime yet, now all of a sudden he, you know, he, he knows where the cookies are hidden. Yeah. So they're very, very careful about who they let in, and it shows. You know, there's physical fitness type tests, there's medical examination, there's a polygraph test. That's the worst experience of your entire life. Believe me, I took it. It, it was horrifying. I Why? Like what? What? So I, they just ask you your name, and they get a good uh, a good mark of where your, your right answer and wrong answer should be. What could be so bad about taking a polygraph? Because you, you you don't know. It's not that simple. Because you don't know what the right or wrong answer is. Yeah. And it's not like right, let's say there's no polygraph, and I'm interviewing you for the Secret Service, and I ask you something like, "Hey, you know, did, when you were in third grade, did you ever cheat on a spelling test?" <laughs> You know, your answer, if there's no polygraph, you're going to say no, because you just know you shouldn't cheat on spelling tests. But when you're in front of a polygraph examiner, who, who I'm telling you knows when you're lying, I mean, yeah. they, they are the most unbelievable polygraphers in the world. And the reason the Secret Service is so good is because the polygraph program is used to interview people who threaten the president. They can't screw that up. They can't mess up, so they're, they're the best in the business. So now you're sitting there saying to yourself, he asks you, hey, you know, when you were in fourth grade, did you ever steal a piece of gum from your little brother? You're like... <laughs> What's the answer? Do I say yes and tell the truth because I don't really remember? And you, it's it's a, it's screwing with your mind. Yeah. By the time you're done with that eight-hour test, you're not even sure what the right answers were anymore. You really aren't. You know, and, and that that's how difficult it is. A lot a lot of people fail the polygraph. Am I allowed to say maybe? Yeah. Is that is that one? <laughs> this is maybe, right. Yeah, I wish you were. This is Dan Bongino. His book is The Fight: The Secret Serv a Secret Service Agent's Inside Account of Security Failings. And the political machine, uh, certainly at this time, uh, there's. I, I would imagine this is where uh, a lot of the Secret Service is being utilized because, well, I don't know. At what point do candidates get Secret Service protection? Yeah, it's, it's very discretionary. There's a committee uh, in the House and Senate that determines when these people get protection, and it's made in conjunction with the Secret Service, obviously. I know right now for sure that Donald Trump... Um, and uh, and uh, but Ben Carson have protective details. Mrs. Clinton has always had a protective detail, right. so that's uh, because of her status as a former first lady. Uh, and I think I was looking on the, you know, I know most of the guys in the Secret Service. It's not a big agency; it's only about three thousand agents, and I've tr I've trained a lot of them because I was an instructor. So I watch on TV, on Fox or CNN or whatever it is, and I always see the guys. And I think I saw a couple Secret Service guys the other day with Ted Cruz as well. One guy looks very very familiar. So there's a couple details out there right now, and that's a huge strain but, on the Secret Service. Let me ask you this, Dan. I, I took my son two years ago now, I think, to the White House. Had to plan it ahead. I had to have a congressman get me an appointment to get in and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, you, you go through the first, the first checkpoint, metal detectors, turnstiles, and then they bring you into the White House. And the entire time I'm in there, I'm thinking, there's no way the president lives in this house. Yeah, no, he does. And it's not that big, right? Were you surprised no, how small it is? Yeah, because I went there when I was a kid, when I was like eight years old, 
with the Cub Scouts, and I remember it being huge and it taking so long to go through. And then when I went through as an adult, I, I felt like it took 10 minutes to walk through the whole part that they bring you through, and it's not that big, which leads me to believe that either a majority of it is underground or above or something you can't see. But I can't imagine. But then again, I saw the president on TV the other day doing uh, taking Matt Lauer on a tour, and it was right down the hallway that I went down. Yeah, I mean, the entire White House complex is 18 acres. That's it. Right. It's only, and remember, half of that is the, is the OEOB, the, the Eisenhower Executive Office Building. So when you're looking at the actual White House, it's tiny. People are shocked. And, and when you go to the West Wing, if you take a West Wing tour, you probably went on the East Wing tour if you got to do Congress. When you go on the West Wing tour, people are shocked. You, know, if you walk in... And you walk out like that's it. They, yeah. They've seen you know Martin Sheen in that show, The West Wing, and they think it's this like palatial estate. And they're stunned that it's. I mean, the whole walk is less than probably seventy-five yards. You walk up, you walk down, you see the Rose Garden, and they're like, "That's it, really?" <laughs> they, they can't believe how small it is. But no, I assure you, he lives there. That's he crazy. He lives right above where you were. He, yeah, that's his house. That's crazy to to think that we have that kind of access. The uh, the other thing I wanted to tell you is. Uh, I'm 44 years old now, but by the age of 27, I had not one but two incidents with the Secret Service. But it, it uh, something that will never happen again, but also taught me a lot of lessons about life mm-hmm. and what the Secret Service does. When you grow up, you think the Secret Service job is to protect the president. That's it. You don't know that they also are very strict about counterfeiting money, and they don't even like when you make jokes on the radio about it. Oh, no, yeah, counterfeiting. I mean, that was the original purpose of the Secret Service back in the the late 1800s. It wasn't founded to protect the president, nothing to do with it at all. That didn't come up till uh, after McKinley. Right. McKinley was uh, was, was shot. They, the Secret Service had nothing to do with presidential protection. And back then, about uh, half of the money supply during the Civil War was counterfeit. It was a huge threat to our national security. And, yeah, counterfeiting's a big deal. It's probably 30, 40, maybe 50 percent at times of what the Secret Service does. I used to love those cases, by the way, because they're really gritty. You know, the credit card cases are more academic, the Bernie Madoff type stuff. You really have to know your stuff and get your accounting down and you learn how to read quarterly statements. But the counterfeiting was real street cop stuff where I loved you'd have to shake down sources and get them to flip on their sources, <laughs> track the money. And the counterfeiters were usually drug dealers, too. So that's why counterfeiting cases, we were always working with the DEA and the IRS because it was always some guy. It wasn't. He wasn't just counterfeiting. It right. was always the other things. Too. Yeah, I found out the hard way. It was. This was in the early '90s. So um, it was laser printers that first become available to the public. So we joked about using a laser printer to print money and put it in the vending machine. Secret Service was not happy about that. Literally kicked the door in about an hour after we <laughs> talked about it on the air. Yeah, yeah, I'm not surprised. It's uh, people don't realize it. I mean, some people. I've seen some marketing companies that they'll they'll photocopy at the side of a dollar bill, and on the other side, it'll say whatever, like go to thisplace.com and visit us. And uh, yeah, that's a huge no-no. You're, there's there's oh, yeah. very specific rules on what you can do with with money. And yeah, the Secret Service is real. You know what happens? People call in and they complain, and the Secret Service has no. They they have no discretion. They have to go out and do the interview. They probably knew it was it was just a joke. Oh yeah, yeah. But, and but I tell you what, though, at my young age, it was smart because the minute they put me in the room and asked me for my father's bank account number, I knew I'd been really done something wrong. Oh. And that, yeah, that'll never happen again. <laughs> this is Dan Bongino. Dan is a former uh, Secret Service agent who uh, now well, were you uh, were you assigned to a president? Yeah, I, I worked for, uh, I was on the Secret Service, in the Secret Service for 12 years, five years on the Presidential Protective Division, uh, three years of President Bush and two years of President Obama. 
But yeah, not, not a lot of Secret Service agents get to do that. It's one of the common misconceptions about the Secret Service that I think everybody's seen in the line of fire, and they think all the agents are on protective details, but that's really not the case. Most of the agents are out there in the field doing criminal work. A very small portion of the Secret Service uh, gets to protect the president. Very small. And that, again, that's one of the common misconceptions I see out there a lot. What were the uh, what were the code names for the for the two presidents when you had them? Yeah, Bush was uh, Trailblazer, which was I think the coolest name. <laughs> no, Obama. Obama was renegade, but I've stolen that. I actually I, I took his name. My podcast is called the Renegade Republican. <laughs> I took it from Obama. So do you do you guys have like official? Um, official names that you use for like renegades on the move, you know, but then behind your back, you're like, Dumbo ears is moving. Dumbo ears is moving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you probably could, you'd probably be fired the next day uh. and potentially locked up, but no, they, they pretty much stick, stick to the script. You know, these code names used to be secret stuff, but now it's just, it's so out there with the press that I think someone even wrote a book like Renegade about the book. I, I wish yeah. it were different. And I really, I think now people, the Secret Service just uses the code names because that's the way we've always done it. There's really no, you know, you, you, there's no, everybody knows who you're talking about. What I mean, about, if you're out of sight with the president, you know, and you're yeah. saying that, everybody knows you're talking about Obama. What about though, uh, and, and I, you know, obviously I don't expect you to give up, uh, anything that you couldn't say, but what about if you're on, what if you're on secret service duty and you have uh, Clinton to watch and you know, Clinton's running broads through the back of the joint. I mean, is that part of you? You just have to keep your mouth shut about that. You're assumed that if you're part of the secret service detail that you do you keep your mouth shut about everything. Uh, no, you know, you, you don't have to. And I, I think, uh, you know, I, I think the Clinton scandal was a big deal with Lewinsky because I know for a fact, I wasn't there when it happened. I didn't get on until years later. But the, the ramifications of it were still there. I mean, there are a lot of people that still ask that question. I mean, what's the remember? You're you're a constitutionally sworn in law enforcement officer first. Your obligations to the Constitution. That's not a joke. I mean, that's the oath you take. I'm right. not making that up. And and you have to ask yourself. I mean, what is that line? And I think the line most guys and and women in the Secret Service use for that is, if it's not illegal. Um, then it's just not your job to do that. I mean, because then you remember, if, if every little, uh, you know, if, if you become the morality police there, and I don't mean that to sound sarcastic or silly, but all of a sudden the president's going to avoid you. And if he avoids you and gets hurt because of it, did you really do any good? I mean, these are, you know, you have to remember, these are really easy ethics questions for people who've never been there. But they're not easy ethics questions when you've been behind the scenes because you have to ask yourself, like, is that what we want? Do we want the president avoiding us, sneaking yeah. out, and then he gets hurt, and then the country's in total crisis because you didn't like the fact that you know he was doing this with it? You know, it's just it's yeah. No, I, I I agree with that. I think if you sign up for this job, you're assigned to this guy. You do what you got to do to make him. You're working for him at that point. You know, I mean, I know what you're saying. You work for the Constitution. You swear by it. But I I agree with what you're saying. You don't want to make life difficult for you or for him. It, w it won't help anybody in the end. This is Dan Bongino. Dan is a former Secret Service agent. It says in here, uh, you know, the security failings. I mean, what is the biggest thing we have to worry about? I take my kids, shortly after the parachuting, I took my kids to Disney World. And while I was there, I got a text from a law enforcement guy that I know that said, hey, not the safest place to be right now. And that day, they actually stopped letting people in Disney World. So now I think every time I go, Disney World's going to get hit. Yeah, I don't live that far from Disney World. Yeah, see? <laughs> I'm going to take you with me next time I go. 
Yeah, I'm in Palm City down here in Florida. So, uh, yeah, it's. I wanted to put that in the book. The security failings was a good portion of the book because I don't think the general public understands just how bad it is, how poorly the government's being run with political correctness. And I open up the book with a chapter on the White House fence, basically describing how everybody knew the White House fence was going to fail, everyone. So you're probably saying to yourself in the audience, well, how the heck did the Secret Service let this happen? The answer is they didn't. There were people in the Secret Service who for years understood this was going to be a disaster. But the incentive in government is to not do things. It's not to do things. Because no one wants to sign off on the change. Because if you sign off on the change, in other words, hey, I'm going to fix the White House fence, I'm the Secret Service director, and something goes wrong, you're then responsible for it. And that's what I try to get across in the government. I talk about that in terms of why the NSA surveillance program was so dangerous to you and everyone else. If you just let this happen and you don't change it, what are you going to do when insect-sized drones are recording you in the workplace? You may laugh about it until you read the chapter, and I tell you they're already doing things so, like this. I tell you, say, in my mind, I already assume that you're doing this. The Snowden stuff didn't bother me as much as everybody else because from as far back as I can remember, I always assume that somebody's listening to our phone conversations. Well, that's the sad part, that you accurately are assuming that you're probably being surveilled when you shouldn't be. Right. And, and the fact that we're letting this go, you're assuming an old level of technology. Like you just said it. You just said, oh, they're listening on our phone conversation. All right. Well, what happens when they start listening to you in your house? Then yeah. you may say, oh, that's black helicopter stuff. Really? Read the chapter in the book. I think you're, it's going to be a total eye No, I, Dan, I, I, I'm telling you right now, I have, I have PlayStation. I have uh, webcams. I, I, in my mind... That they, they, it is probably extremely easy for them to tap into my stuff and listen. I just feel like I'm not giving anybody. A, and don't get me wrong; I'm not making excuses for this. I don't think it's right by any means, but I feel like I have less to worry about because uh, I'm less interesting because I'm not doing anything wrong. Yeah, but and and that's the that's the, the what you know what I call the well Hayek really called it the fatal conceit, but it applies in this as well. It's the idea that we're not doing anything wrong, but the the, the, the truth is you are. There's 84,000 pages, I think, of federal regulations that were introduced last year alone. I assure you, if they want you to do something wrong, you're doing it. If you ever ripped a tag mm. off a mattress, I know you're laughing. No, no, I understand, what you're, I understand what you're saying now. Now that they have that information, they'll find something. Oh, now I way to spook me, Dan. You're always doing something wrong. Yeah. You know, we're all, remember, we're all sinners, folks. I mean, I, I, I use that term very deliberately. It's not a mistake. When they want to find something wrong and they have surveillance footage on you 24 hours a day, I promise you, they will find something. There is absolutely no doubt. De- Listen, they found something wrong with Jesus Christ. I'm not kidding. They yeah. crucified him. For saying that. I mean, seriously, and I'm, I'm not trying to preach to you, but that's the, they will find something wrong if they want to. And there's an entire chapter in the book on why this is so dangerous. They will find it. There's no way around it. The book is called The Fight, a Secret Service Agent's Inside Account of Security Failings and the Political Machine. Uh, two things. One, let me know before we end the interview, What's the one thing I should avoid? The Super Bowl? The uh, is there something you know that you're like, hey, from my from my point of view, this is the most dangerous thing, the most likely terrorist attack spot. You know, I'm glad you asked that because it's always the thing that you don't think about. I, the Super Bowl and Times Square are the safest places on earth. I tell people that all the time. <laughs> they are. I yeah, wait I, Times I mean, Square. I wait every year. I go. This is the year. I, I wait till it gets to midnight. And I wait for the big explosions. You know, I, I, from, from my mouth to God's ears, I don't think it's ever going to happen. The NYPD has that place on lockdown, and they do what I call a box-within-a-box approach, and right. the best way to secure big areas like that. For, seriously, the sh- local shopping malls are probably the way. You know, it's not, I'm not trying to hurt their business or anything, but I'm just telling you the truth. 
terrorists are fascinated with the idea of, of shopping malls, outdoor, indoor, people where, where people are and people are relatively unprotected. That's where they're going to go. I, 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 I was in a guess, Mall of America or something. Uh, did you ever see that uh, documentary, Terror at the Mall? No, no, I, I didn't. But it, it, I'm sure if it's talking about what I am, that, that it's someone in the security arena who's seen some of the stuff I've seen. They, they want soft targets. It's hard targets for them are too much work. Remember, they got away from the 9-11 model years ago. You know, 9-11 cost them almost a million dollars, depending on the estimates you've seen. It cost them years of training. Why do it? Why? They could just create a pressure cooker bomb at the Boston Marathon. I mean, that, that's their new logic. Why bother? Okay, so, that's so what worries me. you being a, a Florida guy, I, I always assume, I mean, I'm a, I'm a concealed weapons carrier, and, and I, so are a majority of the people in this state. Uh, if, if it is not a bomb and it is some sort of shooting, I think Florida defends itself a lot better than most states. Oh, you, you're damn right. I mean, I carry everywhere. I, you know, and the nice part about it is when I got my LEOSA permit, it's a Law Enforcement Officer Safety Act, being a former Secret Service agent, it couldn't have been easier to qualify. I walked, I was in and out of there in a half an hour qualifying. Yeah. And I'll tell you, Florida is a hard target. So if you're a, you know, Joe terrorist listening, believe me, Floridians shoot back. So <laughs> you're going to have a real tough time. They do. I mean, the people down here, they, they care about their families and their safety. And I'll say to your audience, you are, if you have the capability to get a concealed carry permit and you're comfortable, I want to be clear on that, comfortable with a firearm and you train with it, you're crazy not to get one. No, you I, are. I fully you're, agree with you. Uh, women, men, anybody out there, there's plenty of places to go and take classes and shoot. I'm, I'm all for it. This is Dan Bongino. The book is called The Fight. Uh, you are very interesting. And what is your podcast? Because I'd love to check that out. Oh, thanks. It's called The Renegade Republican. Yeah, we're like a top 50 on iTunes podcast. Thanks. I do a daily uh, half-hour show, uh, The Renegade Republican. I stole it from Obama. <laughs> Good. I love it. I want to check it out. I think you're super interesting. I can't wait to uh, hear the book, and I appreciate you coming on and sharing the information with us. Hey, thanks, guys. Great to be here. Thanks All right. Thank you, Dan. There you go. That guy was, I mean, I have a million questions for him. It was almost a half hour. We had him on the phone. I can ask him, there's so many things I want to know, and you never really get access to those sort of guys. Yeah, very interesting guy, and not only in the Secret Service, but also a, a guy who trained the other guys and was on two different presidents' details, like he said. Not something that all the guys get to do. No, man. Uh, Dan Bongino, and the book again is called The Fight, and then it's uh, Secret Service Agent's Inside Account of Security Failings and the Political Machine. Very interesting stuff. All right. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.